Well, good morning and happy Easter. Uh, you know, during Easter, many of us will spend time today taking pictures of our uh, family and friends. And uh, every year, our family, our Easter kind of looks like this. We have a great big lunch, and then we have an Easter egg hunt. And everyone gets a chance to go out and do that, whether you're 75 or you're seven months old. And we go and we take pictures mainly of the kiddos. And some of them are digital cameras that you might use today. Others of you may use uh, 35 millimeter. You might have a disposable. I found this. Anybody remember what this is? Polaroid. Let me see if it works. It doesn't. So that's why they didn't last. Um, but uh, we take snapshots or uh, still shots or uh, stills, and we're constantly recording uh, pictures of our life. In fact, this week I was looking through 40 years of pictures, and I found this one. It'll come up. That was my first haircut, okay? And I would never have that picture if uh, someone had not taken it uh, during that time. Now, some of us remember things in black and white. Some of us remember them in color, some in Polaroid, some in home movies. And some of us remember God in the exact same way. Just like we take a picture and we put it into a frame, in the same way, there are moments in our lives in which we remember His touch, when we remember His power, when we remember His presence in our life. And we capture those things just like we do pictures that we will take today. A couple of months ago, I invited uh, nine people to share in a hundred words a moment in their life in which they could capture a God moment, a time in which God kind of either answered a prayer or kind of spoke to them in some way. And uh, my prayer has been this entire week is that many of you would experience a God moment today. So let's listen to their story. My name is Amy, and I was 12 years old when I sensed God say, Don't be afraid. I'm with you always. And at that moment, I gave my life to him. Years later, at age 32, I found myself being a stay-at-home mom with two little children. And it was such a transition for me as I worked out of the home for many years. I wasn't sure we could make it on one income, but God reminded me at that moment to don't be afraid. He's always with me. Just this year, my husband was laid off from his job after 19 years of service. And at that moment, I realized that I'm going to be the breadwinner. And I just thought back to when I was 12 and that promise that God made for me, which is 
everything's going to be okay. Have no fear. God is with you. My name is Jib. Five years ago, during a church celebration, I prayed to God in a moment of desperation and honesty that I was destroying my life and headed in a direction that I had no power to change. In that moment, I felt the only thing God wanted me to know was that he loved me and that he was with me. Since that time, I lost my marriage, my family, and nearly my life as a result of the lifestyle I was living. God loved me so much that he allowed my life to be completely shattered so that he could put the pieces back together his way. Today, I am enjoying good health, sobriety, and the reconciliation of my family as I do life God's way rather than insisting on my own way. My name is Marilyn. During the blizzard of 1978, I was at Riley Children's Hospital with my daughter Heidi as she was battling leukemia. I was in the lobby alone struggling with what the doctor was telling me. Someone said I had a phone call on the payphone in the lobby. It was a pastor, and to this day, I do not know his name or who he was. I don't remember all the conversation, but I do remember him saying this. Even though you may never know why this is happening, God has a reason for everything, and he is in control. I come away with such a sense of peace and comfort, and those words help me to get through the grief of Heidi's death. Those same words carried me through the loss of my mother and my father and my husband, Jim. I believe God prompted that pastor to call me at that very moment that I needed him. God is in control. We just have to trust him. My name is Don. Uh, I spent most of my life running away from God. In the course of my race, the finish line became drinking, divorce, and partying all the time. This lifestyle eventually caught up with me. Ten years ago, I had a heart attack, but I still kept running away. Four years ago, I was stricken with lung cancer. This was my wake-up call. It was at this time that God revealed himself to me. I understood for the first time in my life that he would take me as I am. Thank God my past is erased and I was set free. He took my innocence. He molested me for three years as a child. Several times I thought I had forgiven him, only to find my anger and resentment creep back into my heart time and time again. Then came one random Monday evening. I just found out that he had skin cancer. And the reality of him dying became very real. My heart tightened the more I thought about the fact that he didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And the thought of him going to hell made me cry. I began to pray fervently for him in hopes that God would have mercy on his soul. At that very moment, I knew that true forgiveness had taken place. I no longer feel hatred or animosity for him. I am at peace. Hi, my name is Waylon. 
I didn't grow up in a church. In fact, God wasn't really on the radar. But my grandma Betty was always there showing me the path to Christ. She would take my sister and me to church with her when my parents would occasionally spend the weekend out of town. Last June, she died, and at her funeral, I knew she was at home in heaven. However, I still felt a void. Something was now missing in my heart, and I wanted God to fill it. A week later, my wife Sarah found out she was pregnant. She'd been pregnant at the funeral, and we didn't even know it. God created something even in our loss, and now we're blessed with our daughter, Zoe Elizabeth. Hi, my name is Stephanie. My husband and I were expecting our second baby. At 12 weeks, we went in for our first ultrasound, but instead of seeing a beating heart, we had learned that we had lost our child. We grieved and we prayed over the next several months, and God began to heal our hearts. At four months, we decided that we were ready to start trying again. But soon after, I went um, to the drugstore and I got a prompting to buy a pregnancy test. Fully believing that it was negative, I instead stepped out in faith, took the test, and sure enough, it was positive. The next day, we went in for an ultrasound, fully expecting to see a tiny little kidney vein. But instead, we saw a full body, a beating heart, arms, and legs. To our amazement, we were already 16 weeks pregnant, well into our second trimester with a boy. We couldn't believe it. All this time had passed, and we had no idea. We were so grateful that he had protected our hearts and blessed our family with another baby. How amazing, funny, and great is our God. Hi, my name is Todd, and I used to feel that when life was tough, I would run and gamble. I lived and breathed the casinos. It was my medication. It controlled everything that I did. My business, my family, they were all suffering, and I didn't care. Two years ago, I met Christ, and I reached out to him and prayed for him to take my addiction away. He heard my prayer. I haven't gambled since. Satan has tried several times to pull me back to this lifestyle, but he has failed. I can't even explain to you how much power and strength that I have now that Jesus is the center of my life. My name is Christina. My boyfriend and I have been living together for four years in an unhealthy relationship. We were constantly arguing, and things just seemed to get worse and worse. I wanted Brian to get out of my life, and I even started praying that he would just leave. After several months of praying, God revealed to me that I was praying for the wrong thing. He had a different plan for us. God began working in both of our lives. He began to convict me of things that I was doing wrong and provide an opportunity to get them out in the open and be forgiven. He began working in Brian's life and helping him deal with anger and insecurities. We began to communicate better and understand each other more. Our relationship is not perfect, but God has made a big difference in who we are today, and we are now committed to each other and to him in a healthy marriage. Let's give these folks a hand. You know, after hearing those hundred-word kind of snapshots from these folks, some of you may be wondering, why don't I have moments like that in my life? 
God moments where God steps in and He changes things or He makes things right or He restores my family. Or maybe you even got a little rush and a little anticipation where you're sitting there that, you know, could God speak to me? I wonder, could God show up for me? You know, the nine people that just shared their story are uh, real people with real lives. They don't have it all together. They're not perfect. You know, we didn't like take all the people in the jar and decide, okay, who all got A's? And now we're going to select them. We just picked people who had encounters with God, and as they encountered Him, that their life was changed. Now, the big challenge that every single one of them had was to actually do their story in a hundred words or less. I mean, that was a big challenge for some of them. And I want to read with you another story this morning. It has 99 words. I mean, since I only work one hour a week, I have time to count words, you know what I mean? And so it's a story that has 99 words, and it's found in Luke chapter 24, and this is what it says. But very early on Sunday morning, the women came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside, so they went in, but they couldn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They were puzzled trying to think what could have happened to it. Suddenly, two men appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed low before them. Then the men asked, Why are you looking in a tomb for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Just 99 words but 99 words of God showing up. 99 words of hope. 99 words of power. 99 words of resurrection. Several years ago, I had a friend of mine who had done pretty good investing in mutual funds and bonds and stocks and that kind of thing. He did pretty well, but he wanted to take on even a greater challenge. And so he convinced his wife that he had done the research and that he had found a guaranteed, red-hot, can't-lose investment dealing with real estate. And so he took their money, put it down, and guess what happened? It bellied up. He lost everything. He didn't get squat from it. And my friend's name is Chris Bunch. A lot of sympathy here this morning. I, I feel it, you know, like I, I feel the love. But let me ask you this. How many of you put money down on that gigantic Powerball a couple of weeks ago? Anybody? Look, you're in church. You're like, I'm not going to raise my hand. No, I bet a lot of you did. Or you thought about it. And how did it work out? Not so well. You know, not so well at all. You know, the reality is all of us have lost some money and some investment along the way. 
And we all share one thing in common. We had flawed assumptions about something that was going to pay off in the future. We assumed this, and we got that. We hoped for this, and we didn't get anything. We assumed we were going to win, and we lost our coat. We expected a big return, and we got nothing at all. And from my own experience, the same is true in life. In fact, one of the big truths in life, you can write this down in your teaching outline if you want, but one of the big truths in life is this. We have all made life investments with flawed assumptions. We've all made life investments based on flawed assumptions. For example, maybe you made a decision relationally where you said, if I just find the right person, then I'll be happy. And so you went on this desperate search for the right person. And when you found him or her, you fell in love. You got married. And you thought nothing but bliss, 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 bliss. And then a short time later, two days into the honeymoon, you thought, you know what? This thing is not what I thought it was. I must have found the wrong person. And so you went out on a search a second time to find the right person. And maybe over the course of time, you tried to find the second or third or fourth or fifth right person. And now you have broken relationships and busted marriages. And now you look in the mirror and you wonder, I just wonder if I had the right relational strategy. Now maybe for some of you, it comes down to moral decisions that were based on flawed assumptions. Maybe you assume that when two people have a love connection... When the sparks start to fly, that you'll just go ahead and have sex. I mean, that's the natural step to get this thing to the next level. I mean, everyone's doing it, so just do it. It doesn't matter how well you know them. It doesn't matter what your commitment is to them. So you assumed that you could sleep with anybody, and you even were kind of like, man, this is the life. But it didn't work out that way. You're lonelier than you've ever been, and there are pieces of your soul that are all over the place. And you go through life with more than just a few regrets. Or maybe some of your assumptions were financial. You thought, if I just get enough money, if I work a second job, if we get some more money in this household, if we accumulate enough bling-bling, then I'll be happy. But the fact of the matter is, for many of us, we have more stuff than we know what to do with, and we're miserable. And you're buying more and more and more and more stuff to somehow take care of it. And you're feeling more depressed. Or maybe you had an assumption about your addiction. You thought, I can stop drinking anytime. I can stop using anytime. 
I can stop looking at porn anytime. But the reality is, you're drinking now more than you ever did. You're still using. You're still looking. You're still hiding. You're just trying to find enough of a buzz that will take care of where you're at. Or maybe you had a flawed assumption about family. You started looking around and you thought, you know, the thing that's missing in my life is that I just need a family. And so you got a husband or a wife, got a couple of kids, went out and bought that SUV, you know, that everybody can notice. And maybe you even took the kids to Disney World over uh, spring break. And as nice as it is, and as good as it is, and as much as you love your family, deep down inside, there's still something that's missing. And finally, I would think that almost everyone in this gymnasium today, at one time or another, you've had some spiritual decision based on flawed assumptions about God. We thought that either God was going to just ignore us totally, and that God is really, really, really distant, completely done with us. He doesn't know what we're going through. Or He is simply our go-to guy. You know, when we get in trouble, we go to Him. Or when there's a 911 emergency, we dial Him up. And we've said things like this in our spirit. Well, I certainly don't want Him to be at like the center of my life. I don't want to become one of those religious freaks on TV that have big puffy hair and wear polyester all the time. I mean, I don't want him to hang out with me at school all the time. I don't want him to hang out with me at my job. I don't want him in my social life. I don't want him in my home. And underlying all of that is probably this assumption. The truth is, God really doesn't want to hang out with me anyway. And so we say, I just want enough, God, that if my life hits a couple of snags, He can bail me out. Now, folks, we've all had moments like that. Every single one of us. Moments in which the life investment that we made was based on a flawed assumption. And now, maybe you're sitting there right now on Easter Sunday, 2012, and you're in your 20s, or you're in your 30s, or you're in your 40s, or you're in your 50s, or you're in your 60s, or whatever, and you say, I thought this, but I got that. And I'm living with some real regrets. I hoped for this, and I went for it, and now... I find myself in need of a power that is greater than my own. A resurrection type of power. Well, there was a guy in the Bible by the name of Peter. He was one of Jesus' closest friends, and he lived a life very similar to that. He was a very rough and tough kind of fisherman. And he began to wonder if he had made some flawed assumptions on Jesus. He began to whether whether he began to decide whether or not he had made a bad investment, a bad life investment, and he had misplaced his hope 
when he decided to follow him. But I want you to see what he wrote. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. In fact, it will come up on the screens, and uh, let's read this together. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, he found out, folks, that he, had, he didn't make a flawed assumption when it came to Jesus. Did you notice the two key words that are in that verse? You might want to circle these if you're a circle person. The first word is hope, and the second word is resurrection. He said he came for, to give a living hope and resurrection. You know, there are a lot of things in life, folks, that uh, are not what they, what they should be. There are a lot of things in life that are kind of overrated. Sports teams, some movies, restaurants, cars. When I look out here, for some of you men, hair is overrated. And for some of you, eventually, it will be, you know? I mean, you're as bald as a cucumber or you're getting close to that and you're like, who needs hair? You know, like who needs it? Or for me, I mean, who needs a medium-sized straight nose when you can have this gigantic crooked nose? I mean, who needs a Brad Pitt kind of nose? I mean, there's lots of things in life that are just kind of overrated. But I'm telling you this, hope is not overrated. Hope is never overrated. And we all need hope. And what's so cool about the Bible is that in the New Testament alone, the second half of the Bible, the word hope is referred to 71 times. One time before Jesus was resurrected, 70 times after he was resurrected. So when the Bible talks about hope, folks, it's not just talking about mere optimism. It's not talking about some hyped-up, rose-colored, kind of power of positive thinking kind of hope that just makes you feel a little bit better. It's talking about real hope. It's talking about a hope that can sustain you when you're going through some tough stuff in life. A hope that can come along and help you when you're dealing with some pain. A hope that can wash away your shame and your regret. It's a hope that has the power to recover when you've made bad life investments that there is a resurrection and there is a hope that you can receive today. But I want you to know this, that hope always begins in dark places. You know, I think we all would say that the common kind of symbol of the Christian faith is the cross. There's a lot of artwork about crosses. Maybe some of you are wearing a necklace with a cross. But the cross originally was a cruel instrument of execution. I mean, today it'd be like somebody wearing an electric chair, a little mini figurine around their neck. 
Or somebody, you know, taking the needle from a lethal injection and you, you know, carry that around. I mean, it'd be strange. And yet we wear crosses. Why do we do that? Because God took something that was so dark and he brought it to light. God took despair and he brought hope. God took death and he brought about resurrection. Now, when you think about it, what is the single worst thing that can happen in your life? It's death, right? I mean, you can go through many things in life and you can find an expert who can help you with your relationships, with your finances, with your vocation. But who are you going to get advice from when it comes to death? You can't get advice about death from anybody else. Why? You might want to write this down. Because everyone who has already died is dead. Except one. Because if there is power in that one, then maybe that power can be given to this one. And that's why I've decided to put my full trust in the one who died and was buried and who was raised again. Because if there is power in him that raised him from the dead, he has the power to help any person in this gym, any person in the world, to get through the struggles that you might be going through. I mean, he's alive, folks. And who else would you rather trust? First Peter, again, it says this. In his great mercy... He has given us what? What's it say? New birth. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. New birth. That's what the whole story of these people who gave a hundred words. It was about a new start, a new beginning, a new birth. That's what Peter was talking about. He was talking about a new beginning, a new start. And that's what Jesus Christ did for him. And that's what Jesus Christ did for me too. Some of you know my story that when I went to college, I uh, had a lot of false assumptions on life. I had a lot of false assumptions on God. I had a lot of false assumptions about how important I was. That was back in the day in which you said, I'm the man, you know. And outwardly, I was this funny guy, and it looked like I had, all, had it all together. But on the inside, where the truth lies, I was dying. I was so empty. And to be really, really honest, I was all alone. But instead of trying to draw closer to God, what I decided to do was to run further away. I remember thinking this. God, you had the first 18 years of my life, and I'm not so sure that was a good investment. So now I'm going to do what I want with the next 18. And it wasn't too long until I started drinking and partying every weekend meeting with girls each night, cheating around whenever I could, and it only increased my loneliness. I mean, I could be the life of the story. I could be telling the jokes. I could be getting the girls. But on the inside, I was all alone. And yet I just continued to do life my way. 
And I have no doubt that I should have been kicked out of college and my life would have went on a very different track, I'm sure. But by the grace of God, He covered me. He had my back. You have to put your faith in something, folks. And it was in that moment in which it hit me. This whole thing that I've been trying to do by leading my life my own way, it's not working. And I had to give up playing God, and I had to turn to God. I had to give my one and only life to Him, and I realized that God was for me. You see, folks, for some of you, what you need to know is that God is not against you. God is for you. But until you get that, that God really is for you, you'll keep running and hiding. And one summer day, I surrendered myself totally to the leadership of Jesus Christ. And God gave me a fresh start. He gave me a new beginning. And you know, I don't mind saying this, that the best life investment I've ever had in my life was when I gave my life to Jesus and I said, I'm ready to believe, I'm ready to give my one and only life to you. So let me ask you this on Easter weekend. What about you? Are you ready today to make that choice? Now the good thing is you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be cleaned up before you come into a personal relationship with Him. You only have to have the faith of a child. Jesus said these words, I tell you the truth, you must accept the kingdom of God as if you were a little child or you will never enter it. In other words, folks, you cannot get into heaven unless you have a childlike faith. I'm not saying a childish faith, I'm saying a childlike faith. And so I guess it would be really important for you today on this Easter to understand, well, how do I develop a childlike faith? How do I get that? Now, the first thing that I notice about kids, and I'm sure you do too, is that they are endlessly inquisitive. For example, this past Wednesday, uh, my wife, Jennifer, and our two girls went to Ag Days. Ag Days is where you go to the 4-H fair And farmers bring animals in, and agricultural workers bring in uh, honey from bees and corn and and different things, and kids can go and they can learn about that. And so there's all these cows and horses and animals and grain and all this kind of stuff all around. And my daughter Shiloh, who's two years old, gets really intrigued with the pigs. She comes up to the gate... And instead of just kind of looking at them, she puts her hand in between the bars and starts petting the pig. But it didn't pet the pig just anywhere because she's so inquisitive. She starts petting him on the butt. And I don't mean like the rump part. I mean like the part under the little tail that's been cut off. And she's like in there. And the pig's like looking like this like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to touch that. And so I'm seeing all this, and I get out my wipes, and I'm getting ready to wash her hands, and before she's done, she's like this. (laughs) 
That's the only image some of you will have all day today, I'm sure. But the thing is, Shiloh is inquisitive. She's always looking at things, touching things, trying to figure them out, putting them in her mouth. All the time she is. Folks, no one gets to the kingdom of heaven unless you have an inquisitive faith. They choose to have an inquisitive faith. Now, some of you were brought here today. You were drugged here today. And your head is spinning right now with all of this God stuff. And you're wondering, though, how do I inquire? And this is what a scripture says. If you seek me, you will find me. That's what God says. If you seek me, you'll find me. He doesn't say, get it all together first. He doesn't say, come clean first. He just says, if you seek me, you'll find me. And if you're inquisitive and you're ready to seek Him today, my greatest recommendation would be, before you leave today, stop in the conference room when you leave. We have Bibles there. And pick up a Bible. And inside it is a reading plan. It only takes you five minutes a day. And it won't start off in some weird language or foreign place. But it'll be about Jesus' teaching. And you pick that up and you start reading it. And it has the power, folks, to change your life. You start connecting with God's Word, and God gets in you. Another thing about kids is that they're very trusting. They're very trusting, almost amazingly trusting. They depend on parents for everything, for food, for clothing, for shelter. They depend on them for nurture and provision, everything. And at some point in life, you just have to come to the point where you say you choose to trust God for everything. You choose to trust Him for everything in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, the Scripture says this, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disappointed. The Scripture says anyone, because there is, a different, there is no difference between Jews and those who are not. In other words, there's no difference. The same Lord is the Lord of all and gives many blessings to all who trust in Him. As the Scripture says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Folks, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or what your background is. The Scripture there says anyone. That means anyone. That means the person that's sitting in your chair right now can be saved. Now, what does that word saved mean? Because, you know, people sometimes will be in church and they'll be like, do you want to get saved? And most of the time people are like, no! This is what saved means. When you're putting together a piece of a puzzle and you get down to the end of it, ultimately you're losing one or two pieces. And God says, your life will never be complete. It will never be whole unless I am a part of that experience, the center part of it. And when you do that, God says, I give you a fresh start, a brand new beginning. You're made whole. You're made complete. And God says that if you will just seek me and trust me, I will give you new hope, new resurrection, new life. One final thing about kids. Children have an enormous capacity to give and receive love. They have an enormous capacity to give and receive love. Like I said, we have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and each night when I pull up uh, into the garage door, 
the door that leads into our family room is, uh, comes from the garage. And when I open it up, most of the time, when I take that first step in and I walk in, both my two-year-old and my four-year-old leave whatever they're doing and they run to me and they give me a hug and they give me love. And each night, when I get a chance to put them to bed at night, and I'm rocking them, it's as if they just kind of relax in my arms, and they receive my love. You know what it means to have a childlike faith? It means that you choose to give and receive love. It means that you can relax up into God's arms as your heavenly Father. And you can receive from Him. And folks, if there's any message that I really want you to take away from today, it's this. And it's kind of cliche, but it's the truth. God loves you. God is amazingly in love with you. In fact... This is what he says about you. He's writing this to you when he says these words. I've never quit loving you and never will. Expect love, love, and more what? Love. I want you to know, folks, that there's never been a moment in your life in which God has not been loving you. Never been a moment that he hasn't loved you. And when you turn to Him as the Lord of your life, He allows you to give and to receive love. Now, if you would, I'd like you to stand for uh, our prayer. And what I want to do is I want to kind of guide you in a prayer that for some of you, it might be the first time in which you've said, you know what? Today's the day. Today is my day. I want a childlike faith. I know that there are some people in this place who are going through some relational stuff right now. You're going through some medical stuff. You're going through some financial stuff. And what you've been doing is you've been trying to have enough faith for something. Enough faith so that you can handle those problems. And I just want you to know, folks, you don't need faith for something. You need faith in someone. Not just anyone, but the only one who said, if you put your faith in me, Life isn't going to be perfect. Things aren't going to be always great. But you will not go through this life alone, and you will not go through this life without blessings that will fill your life and your family. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite some of you to actually repeat after me kind of a prayer. You can do it silently to yourself. But you know what? You, you, might, have get, you might have got pulled here or whatever, but today's the day for you to say, I'm giving my faith to you. I want you in my life. Let's pray.
God, right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask right now that there would be dozens and dozens of people who would say today, God, I want a childlike faith in you. I can't do it anymore. I need something bigger than myself. And so if you're ready to put your faith in Christ, I invite you to just kind of repeat this prayer after me silently to yourself, but it's your words, not mine. They're your words to God. God, I need you. I need you to speak to me. I need you to work in my life. I need forgiveness for my wrongdoing. I need guidance for my future. I need your presence and your power in my life. Thank you for being a good God. Thank you for loving me. This is my day, God. Give me faith to trust what you say.
today that you would have fun, take a lot of snapshots, and remember God's snapshot today, that he's head over hills in love with you. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, our prayer team will be up here. Have a great Easter, everybody. Happy Easter.